Uh, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Genesis. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, please don't fall asleep. I know you've had pancakes. I know you had lots of carbs. Uh, this is going to be great. I promise it'll be good. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one on the floor around you, uh, and it's page 14 in those blue Bibles around the room. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, doing a couple things in this greater series. We've been studying through the life of Abraham and at the same time laying out this greater vision for our church and what we believe God is calling us to do next as a church. And one of the things that we've said as part of this vision is we want to raise seven and a half million dollars over the next two years, seven and a half million dollars over the next two years. And we've been saying that this greater vision has three parts that we want to make disciples, reach our cities and change the world. And making disciples is our strategy. That's the same thing as it's always been. It's what we've been doing up until now. And from a financial perspective, it's the things that we're already paying for, we're already doing, that you're already giving to, right? Reaching our cities is about facilities. We've talked about the need to potentially make some upgrades to this facility. Eventually, we may have to move from this space because we're in lease space, but for sure, our Noblesville campus needs to move. We are one church in two locations, and so we've been talking about that a lot. And then that change our world is an additional compassion piece. On top of what we already give to our partners, we wanna give another $300,000 to meet some real needs in our community and around the world. But even though it's three parts, I want us to keep in mind it's one vision. We can't do just one or two of these things and still be doing what we believe God's called us to do. And that's why all these pieces are together in one fund. Now, what that means is that you can't just give to one part of this vision. So in a couple weeks, when you make a commitment to God through the greater vision, you're committing to the whole greater vision, not just a building, not just a compassion offering. And so after March 22nd, every dollar that you give to Genesis will go to all three parts of this vision. With that in mind, I want to give you some dates to write down. And if you've got your greater booklet with you, you can uh, put them on the cover on the front or the back of that. Or uh, if you've got your phone, maybe you go ahead and put them on your calendar. But the first one is uh, Tuesday night, March the 10th. That's in two days from now is our advanced commitment night. Uh, if you're ready to make a commitment and you know, you think you know what you're going to give, I want to invite you to join us for a special night of worship and testimonies, and it's going to be a great time. We're going to pray, and the leaders of our church, the elders, our staff, anyone who's ready can go ahead and make your commitment that night. That's Tuesday night at our Noblesville campus at 6 o'clock, and uh, you can, we're gonna, we've got child care there for the little kids, so if you want to be there, you can sign up on our app or at genesischurch.me. The next date is Sunday, March 22nd. That's the last week of this series. It's two weeks from today. And that is our Commitment Sunday. That's where everyone who's in our church, ready or not, <laughs> will make your commitment that day. Every, we're asking every person who calls Genesis Church your home to make a commitment to the greater vision. Because remember, the important objective is not the $7.5 million. The important objective is 100% engagement. We're hoping that everyone will be participating, be praying about between now and then, participating in making that commitment on March 22nd. Then finally, I want to point you to the weekend of April 11th and 12th. That's Easter weekend, uh, but that uh, I say weekend because we are going to have a Saturday service on the 11th. We will also have a Good Friday service on the 10th, and so we'll talk all about all of that here in a couple weeks, but I want you to put that weekend on your calendar uh, because it's going to be a really special weekend. That's uh, when we're going to invite people to bring their first or biggest gift. And so if you've got some stored resources that you've been wanting to give as part of your commitment, uh, that'll be a great weekend to do that. Uh, if you're going to increase your regular giving, that's a great weekend to do that. And uh, we're going to have baptisms that weekend. And we also hope to announce the total 
that was committed to the greater vision. And so that's going to be a great weekend to celebrate. So we hope you'll join us for that. With all that in mind, I want to get into our text here in just a second. But first, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want this greater vision to be all about you and your kingdom. We only want to go where you want us to go. So, Lord, I just pray that you would make the path clear for, for people here that are still debating, struggling with what you've called them to commit. Lord, I pray, I pray for clarity. And as we continue to walk through the life of Abraham, Lord, help us to see how his great commitment to you uh, helped clarify priorities in his life. Help us to see how, through his story, how you want us to be totally surrendered to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Abraham is unique to us. He's different from us in that while most of us have a spiritual journey that we're able to kind of keep private for the most part, Abraham's spiritual journey is outlined for all of us to see in scripture. He's got this private spiritual journey that we all get to read about thousands and thousands of years later. So you can be at least thankful that the times you wrestle with God, the times you struggle with doing the right thing, nobody thousands of years now is probably going to have to read about that story, but we get to read about and learn from Abraham's story. If you remember, God called Abraham to leave everything that was comfortable for him in order to pursue a greater calling. He asked him to go to a new place that he didn't tell Abraham about right away. He said, I want you to go to the land. I will show you. But it was clear that God had a greater calling for Abraham and his family. But God wasn't just trying to take Abraham somewhere new. He wanted to make Abraham into something new. And that's important for us. It's an important distinction for us to remember. God didn't just want to take Abraham someplace new. He wanted to make him in to something new. And I hope you see that through Abraham's story and through today, that God isn't especially interested in where you go or what you accomplish or what you're able to acquire in this life, but he is deeply interested in who you are becoming. He wants to teach you to trust he wants you to teach you to rely on your faith. But more than anything, he wants you to be totally surrendered to him in all things. And that's an important distinction. In some ways, we in the church, uh, we've made Christianity a pretty easy life. We've uh, made it pretty comfortable. Sure, we might have to make some adjustments to our life around the way, uh, along the way, and maybe we need to give a little bit more to our church, or we need to give a little bit more to missions, or we need to change some things about the way we live, or we need to stop doing that or start doing that. But, but we kind of miss the point in a lot of cases. We, we, it's so much more than that. Following Jesus is about a total commitment, total surrender in every part of your life. In fact, if you've got your uh, greater booklets there. Uh, you can take notes on page 21. There's a place to do that. And we are calling this morning Greater Surrender. And so if you want to put that at the top as the title of today. And that's a big part of this greater series. While greater is, yes, about everything that we believe the Lord is calling us to do as a church, at the same time, it's really about what he's doing in your life and the type of person that you're becoming for him. So what's interesting about Abraham is that he didn't treasure money or possessions like many of us do, like many other people in the Bible did. He had a lot of money and possessions, but they weren't really a treasure for him. He, he didn't treasure his career or his home. We know he left his homeland to go someplace else. He didn't treasure his personal aspirations, but he did have a treasure, and his treasure was his son. It was his son, Isaac. The son he had waited, he and Sarah had waited so long for God to deliver to them. Uh, it took a long time, a lot of wrestling, a lot of praying, 
uh, for Abraham and Sarah to have their son Isaac, and now God is going to test him. He's going to test Abraham, as we see in Genesis 22. If you have your Bibles open there, we'll start with verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, we have the advantage of knowing that this is a test. Remember, Abraham doesn't know this. It's really hard for us to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes because we see that in the very first line of this story. God's just testing Abraham. Oh, he's just testing him. But he doesn't know that. And you may be at a place in your life where something is happening to you. Something is happening in your life. And maybe God is testing you to see how your faith's going to hold up, to see if you're going to be willing to surrender. But you don't know that in the moment. It just looks like something really hard. God is testing Abraham. And sometimes because we live in a broken world, bad things are going to happen to us. Bad things are going to happen to people we love. And God will sometimes use those things to test our faith in him, to test how much we trust him, to test our surrender. And he'll use them to grow our faith. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now this here I am is what Abraham says. In other words, he says, I'm standing at attention waiting for you to tell me what to do. I'm waiting for your command. In other words, it's a picture of readiness. It's a a picture of surrender. Abraham says, uh, God says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am, Lord. I'm surrendered. I'm ready for you to tell me what you want me to do. Now, think of the things that God has already called him to. God called Abraham to leave his family land and pick up his whole family and move to a place. I'll show you where you're going to go. Right? God called uh, as soon as he started on the move. Remember that God, there was a famine and God told Abraham to go to Egypt, go to this place where you're the other, go to this place where you don't have any family, you don't have any friends, you don't have any assets, just go to this place and make yourself a new life. And Abraham did that. Now, if I was Abraham, when God called me, I'd be like, blah, 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 I can't hear you. But, but that's not what Abraham does. Instead, he says, here I am, Lord, I'm standing at attention, I'm ready for you. He's learning to trust God. Verse 2 says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And if you're new to Scripture or you've never read this story before, I want to tell you that the word burnt offering there means exactly what you think it means. Basically, I want you to take your son and burn him on the mountain. Can you imagine even hearing this from God. What an incredibly bold request. And scholars tell us that when we get to this part of Genesis, we get to this part of the story, that the writing style slows down substantially and significantly. That that up till this point, it's been a pretty fast-paced account of Abraham's life, but that the writer intentionally slows down here and says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Now remember, Isaac was Abraham's treasure. He represented everything for Abraham. It was the child that God had promised to Abraham and Sarah. They'd waited so long for him. Abraham treasured him. And what does God say? I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering. And you might think, see, that is exactly why I find the Bible so unbelievable. Why would God call Abraham to go burn his own son. Why, what kind of a monster would require this of a man? I I promise if you hang with me, we'll come back to that question, okay? But first, what do you think is, take, take what is happening here with Abraham and Isaac and apply it to your life. 
right? There's probably something in your life that you treasure. Maybe for you, it is your family. It's, it's those friends. But, but for many of us, we have something in our life that we treasure a lot. And for some of us, it's treasure, right? It's possessions, it's money, it's property, it's a, a house, a boat, a car, a piece of jewelry, the money we have in the bank. Maybe it's a job or the job that you hope to do someday. It's a career path that you're on, and that's the most important thing to you. Maybe for you, it's your dreams and goals. You've got your mind set on something, and it's amazing how much money and effort and time and sweat that you'll spend trying to reach that goal or achieve that thing that you feel like God's called you to. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe it's the person you're with or your spouse, or maybe it's people like your parents or your kids or somebody you're dating or your friends. And all these things can be really, really good things. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can sometimes let them take the place of God in our lives. Is, that's what, is that what's happening with Abraham and Isaac? Has Isaac kind of become an idol for Abraham and taken the place of God in his life? I think that's what God needs to find out. And that's kind of what this test is all about. So verse 3 says this, Genesis 22, 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Man, how obedient is Abraham? He gets up early in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't even like getting up early in the morning for something I want to do, right? Amen? But here's Abraham, and here's the thing that God's called him to do, the thing that you know that he's dreading, and Abraham gets up early in the morning and prepares himself for this journey, which, by the way, is a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Three days. Three days of travel. And there's no serious XM satellite radio in Abraham's chariot. There's no... Uh, DVD player for the kids. There's nothing to do in this three days of travel except think. And what do you think Abraham's thinking about? Did I hear God right? Is this really what I'm supposed to do? How much more does he want from me? I mean, didn't he make this promise to me? After all, isn't Isaac the way that my, like I'm going to become the father of many nations? Like I've given up so much for him. Why? My only son, why would God do that for me? How's he going to produce the family that God promised if he's dead? Three days of thinking that. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, something really important that we have to notice here. I, this is so cool when I saw it this week. Look at the pronoun choice in verse 5. Abraham says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. He doesn't say, we will worship, and then I will come back to you, although he knows that's what God's called him to do, right? Two men go up the mountain, one man comes back down. That's the call from God. But Abraham says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, some scholars think that Abraham is probably just kind of covering up the truth of what's happening here for Isaac's sake, but I don't think so. I think Isaac or Abraham is demonstrating great faith in this moment because even though maybe he didn't know the why behind the what, uh, the reason behind the, ha the needing to sacrifice Isaac, he knew the character of God. And he knew that God was always true to his promises. In fact, look what one writer said about this in the New Testament in Hebrews 11. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. All right, verse six, Genesis 22, six says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to him and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And so what happens here is the rest of their traveling party stays behind while Abraham and Isaac make their final march up the mountain. Now notice that both Abraham and Isaac are carrying supplies for the sacrifice. Isaac is carrying all the wood on his back. And as discussed last week, uh, Abraham's made many animal sacrifices before. This would not have been an unusual situation for them. But the one thing that Isaac noticed is there's no lamb. There's no animal there to sacrifice. And so he asked this question, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And imagine the tension Abraham felt when Isaac asked, Father, where's the lamb? Talk about awkward. I mean, this is the part where as parents, don't we get really, really good at changing the subject? Like when your kid says, uh, Daddy, why is that man so fat? Uh, Mommy, why do you pull all the hairs out of your chin? Where do babies come from? Uh, isn't that that candy bar that you like so much? So let's get one of those and then we can get out of here, right? That's, that's what happens so much as parents. We'll just change the subject. That's what Abraham could do, but that's not what he did. Instead, he responds to his son in the most honest demonstration of faith that he knows how. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Now, Isaac is getting the idea of what's happening here, right? He's tied up. He's placed on top of the wood pile. Scholars guess that Isaac was around the age of 15 here, so he's probably turning into a strong young man. Remember, Abraham's old. Abraham was 100 when he had Isaac. And so uh, Isaac's pretty strong. He carried all this wood up the mountain. So if he wanted to fight back, if he wanted to resist, he probably could. He could probably beat his dad up. But what we see in Isaac here is that Isaac also is submitted to this plan. I think I see faith in Isaac here. Now, where would somebody like Isaac get that kind of faith at 15 years old? Parents, your kids are watching you. They're watching you and they see your faith and they see how it's an important part of your life or how it's not an important part of your life and what it means for you. And God has the opportunity all the time to test our faith. And in fact, even this greater vision is an opportunity for you to demonstrate great faith for your kids. If you've been praying about that, but you haven't talked to your kids about it, if they're old enough to really understand, I just want to invite you to talk to them about it because imagine someday your son or daughter telling a story about the time when mom and dad trusted God. I mean, you've got an opportunity to model faith for your kids all the time, even right now. Verse nine again says, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on top of it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took out the knife to slay his son. 
Now, I want to come back to that question. How could God make such a bold request of Abraham? How could God demand this from Abraham? We, we have to keep in mind the cultural context, okay? This is not just a demand or a request to murder Isaac. There's something deeper going on here. The offering of the firstborn is a, uh, a theme that runs throughout the entire Old Testament. And it symbolized the debt that man owes to God, that we owe to God. Now, this becomes evident much later at the Passover. If you remember the story from Exodus of Moses, Moses is trying to lead the people, the Israelite people, out of Egypt, and God sends the plagues. And the last plague is where he comes through the, through the town, through the country, and kills the firstborn sons of everybody there. But if the Israel, Israelite people, if they spread the lamb, uh, the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, that God pass over their house. And then after that, under Hebrew law, God required the firstborn to be his. The firstborn of the cattle or sheep belong to the Lord. You sacrifice them. The first fruits of the crops belong to the Lord. You bring them to, to his temple. And the firstborn son belonged to the Lord. And the only way that you could keep your firstborn son was to make a redeeming sacrifice. It's called a redeeming sacrifice. Where we're going to take an animal and kill the animal in place of the son to make a blood sacrifice in its place. All right, so that's the context that Abraham's working with here. Here's Tim Keller, pastor and author out of New York City, says this. He said, if Abraham had thought that God had told him, kill Sarah, and then I will know you love me, he would have never done that. He would have concluded that he was hallucinating because God would not have commanded senseless murder like that. And God would not have said it because that would have been murder. But when God said, offer Isaac, Abraham knew exactly what that meant. The firstborn. It represented his very life and the debt every man owes to God. So Abraham knows this. He knows what he has to do. And so Isaac laid down on the altar, probably voluntarily, Abraham ties him down and he draws his knife. And as his knife is in the air, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Same response that he gave earlier when God called him. Here I am. In other words, Lord, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for your command. Tell me what to do. Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham passed the test. His faith in God got him through. And what it shows us of the character of God is that God didn't want a sacrifice from Abraham. Instead, he wanted his surrender. He wanted to know without a doubt, that Abraham was totally, completely surrendered to him. And his faith, Abraham knew the character of God and that got him through. Then look what happens. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. That's called a substitutionary sacrifice. That the son... The man, Isaac, didn't have to die because there was another blood sacrifice in his place. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, in those days, the name you gave a place really meant something. It had some importance to it. And so notice Abraham didn't name this place, the place where Abraham obeyed. He called it 
the Lord provides. Now, this scene on Mount Moriah that unfolds here is really just foreshadowing for us because it's the same area where later another firstborn son would march up the mountain. Another one and only son who was dearly loved by his father would carry the wood for his own sacrifice because it's in the same area that God would later send his own son, Jesus, to be crucified. See, for Abraham, this was just a test. But the day would come when God would sacrifice his son for you and me. Jesus willingly died to take on my sin and your sin. He died so that we could know that we're forgiven and loved. He died so that we could have eternal life through him. He died to make us new and to give us even greater purpose for living in this world. And he wants to be your greatest treasure in this world. He wants total surrender from each of us. He doesn't want anything to stand in your way of your relationship with him. And so the point of this story is not that you like identify your Isaac and give that up to God like he needs that from you. And this is, remember, this is not about making little changes to our lives and getting everything straightened out and put back in place. Uh, the point is that we are totally, fully surrendered to God in all things, okay? It's, and it's way more, we've been talking about fi- money and finances in this series, it's way more than finances. This is every area of your life. It's your, it's your sex life, it's your relationship life, it's your work life, it's your home life, it's your what you're doing in your spare time life, it's every part of your life. But for many of us, money is the greatest barrier between us and God. It's the greatest thing, it's the last thing standing in our way of being totally and completely surrendered to him. And this greater vision is an opportunity to take a step toward that, toward total surrender in him. And this is true for you, whether you're a student or single or newly married or retired or you're a parent or a grandparent, It's true for all of us. By now, I hope all of you or most of you have a commitment card. If you don't have one, uh, you can get one on your way out the door or there's a copy of it on page, I think, eight and nine in the greater booklet. But um, you can get one from the booth as you leave. You'll have an opportunity Tuesday night or on advanced commitment night on March the 10th or again in a couple weeks to complete this card as a way of committing to this greater vision, but it's also an opportunity for you to demonstrate your faith and trust in God. And so I hope that you'll be praying about it this week and what God's calling you to do. And as you pray about it, there are three questions that you should ask yourself. First question is this, does my commitment demonstrate faith? It has to reflect some element of risk and faith. And in many ways, uh, this is a test, much like God tested Abraham through Isaac. And what Abraham modeled for us is that he trusted God and that nothing was going to stand in the way of that. The second question is this, does my commitment demonstrate sacrifice? Abraham was willing to offer up his first and his best. You know, what meant the most to him with his son, Isaac? And what I hope that you'll be praying about is the number that you'll eventually write in this box right here. Now, all this stuff up above, these numbers are to help, they're a worksheet to help you figure out what the Lord may be calling you to give. But that box right there, that's the important one. That's your two-year commitment, what you're committing to give over the next two years uh, to the greater vision at Genesis Church. And for some of you, you know what you're going to do. Like you've already thought about this and you've looked at the card and you kind of filled out some numbers that feel pretty comfortable for you. But have you prayed about it? Because that's where the Lord has been working in my heart is as I've prayed about this. Because I thought I knew what I was going to do as soon as I saw this card. I kind of had an idea in my mind. And then I started praying about it. And I started asking these questions. Does that demonstrate faith? 
Does that demonstrate sacrifice? Remember, it's going to take every single one of us. And if you look at the back of this card, let me tell you what's scary to me about this greater vision. It's not that $7.5 million number. God's, God's got all the money he needs to carry out any vision he has. It's right here in this church, right? Here's the number that scares me. If you add up all these numbers on the left-hand column of how many gifts are needed, that number is over 700. Now, we have 700 families at Genesis Church, but only about 400 of them gave anything last year at Genesis. That means that, you know, even though we've got gifts from $1 million all the way down to $2,500 over two years, that's about $24 a week or something like that. Uh, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. But it's 700 gifts, 700 households. That means that we need everybody, every person who calls Genesis Church your home to participate. And that means for many of you, this is going to be the first gift you ever give to Genesis Church. And that is going to be so cool. I can't wait to tell some of those stories. We are praying for 100% engagement, 100% of our church sacrificing together. In fact, this is so important to me that if one of you were to come up after the service and, and write a check for $7.5 million and hand it to me, well, first of all, I'd cash that check. But we would still do this because it really is about 100% of our church sacrificing together. Now, here's, here's the third question. Does my commitment demonstrate full surrender? You can make big sacrifices and still retain control. Now, this is something I learned early on in my giving journey that, that sacrifice and surrender are different. Surrender is giving up control. It's viewing your life like a blank check with no restrictions. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not always there yet. Uh, there are times in my life where I'm not totally surrendered to God. I still like that bit of control. I, I still am a little bit afraid to let go. I'm a little bit afraid of the unknown. But can I tell you, in, in our lives, my wife Benita and me, our lives where the switch flipped for us is when I stopped asking the question, this is my money, how much should we give to God? And I started phrasing it like this, this is God's money, how much should we keep back for our family? That changed something in our life. Now, God still has work to do in our lives. He's still growing us in our faith. But one area that he's been growing us in is in, in this area of finances. But still, uh, over the last 28 years, we've been married. We've collected a lot of money, put some savings aside. We've put a lot of money in home equity. And that is an area that I have, the Lord has shown me I see as a treasure for us. And for me, anyway. I don't want to speak for her. But, but as we've prayed and we've decided we're going to commit over the next two years, Benita and I are going to commit to giving 20% of our gross income to the greater vision. And for us, that includes a one-time gift up front that we're going to draw out of our savings as well as a pretty large increase over what we currently give. It's about 60% more than we're giving right now. And I'm not telling you that to brag and I'm not telling you that because that's what you need to do. I'm only telling you that because I want to tell you that we're not asking you to do anything that we're not prepared to do. Does that scare me, that number, 20% of our gross income? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, after all, I got, I got two kids going to college in the next two years. But I believe that's what God's asked us to do. And, and all I want you to do is pray and ask, God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to do through us? If you let God speak into your commitment, I promise you two things. One, he'll grow your faith in him. And two, he will be true to his promises. And if there's one thing I've learned about generosity over my 20 or so years of being a Christian, it's that generosity is an important step in becoming a disciple of Jesus. 
But I also want to remind you there's another reason why we're doing greater. We've been given the assignment of helping people find their way back to God. And, and that means something different for every one of us here, but um, as we get ready to close out our service, I want to show you one story of a couple in our church who found their way back to God here, and it was kind of unexpected for them. I want you to know that stories like that, like Brian and Amy's, like that's why we're doing greater. <clears throat> it's not because we want to be the biggest church in the area. We don't. There are already great big churches around here. It's not because we want to hire more staff or build a nicer building to impress more people. But we want to go all in to help people find their way back to God. This, this area, Hamilton County, Indianapolis, this whole region is full of people who are desperate to find their way back to God. And some of them are right here in our church. And some of them are in your neighborhood and some of them are in your school and some of them are in, are in your workplace and some of them are on your team and some of them are in your office or in your family. And we serve a God who leaves the 99 to go find the one, the one who is broken, the one who is desperate, the one who is hurting, the one who is afraid, the one who has messed up too much or wandered too far or feels like a failure and wonders if God really loves them. And when he finds them, God gently lifts them up and puts them on his shoulders and carries them back to the flock like a good shepherd. And it just takes a little faith, just a little mustard seed of faith and God's endless grace and they're part of God's family. And we have to make room for people to find their way back to God. Let me ask you today, are you still finding your way back to God? Are you still waiting for him to move in your life? Is there a place where your heart's been frozen to him? Maybe you just need a little more faith. Maybe there's an area of your life you just need a little more faith, a little more help, a little more prayer. I just wanna take a moment here. We're gonna close this service a little differently than we usually do. I wanna take a moment and, and pray for you. In your life, maybe it's, maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's like, Brian and Amy's story, you're wrestling with whether God really cares, but, but maybe it's not that at all. For you, it could be a health issue. Maybe it's, you got the test results back and they were positive and now you're wrestling with what that means for the rest of your life. And maybe for you, it's something in your family, your marriage. Uh, your marriage is broken. Your, your love relationship is broken. You, maybe your, your kids have gone away and you, you don't know exactly how to deal with that. Maybe for you, it's some habit that you've been wrestling with that you've been trying to break. Maybe for you, it's finances. Like you've got this, you'd love to be a part of greater, but you've got this pile of debt, this, these, all these things that are requiring your money. Uh, maybe for you, life has just been one let down after another, one unanswered question after another. If that's you, I wanna pray for you as we close the service, but I'd like to do this. Um, this is gonna take a little boldness but I think you've got it in you. If you're wrestling with something in your life right now and you'd really like prayer, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just raise your hand. Thank you for that. Thank you for those hands. Okay, I see those. Now I'm gonna ask you to do something else and this is gonna be a little, a little strange, but I think it'll be helpful. It, would you just stand where you are? If you just raised your hand, would you just stand where you are? I wanna pray over you. We're gonna pray over this room as we close. Thank you for that. Thanks for that boldness. Now, if you are comfortable with this and you're standing around somebody who stood up or you're sitting around somebody, would you just reach over and place your hands on them somewhere? Place your hands on their back or their shoulder. Just 
If you're not, if you want to just sit where you are and just reach your hands towards them, let's, let's pray for these people in our presence. Heavenly Father, <laughs> you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You are the God who has parted seas and moved mountains and healed the sick and raised the dead. And the God that you were that we see in scripture is still the God that you are today. And you've got all the same power. You've got all the same uh, knowledge. You, your presence can heal people even today. Lord, we, we, you just reach down right now. Will your spirit just be present in this place and start the process of healing the brokenness in this room right now? whether it's a health issue or a financial issue or a relationship issue. God, I don't know what's happening in this room right now, but you do. You are all knowing, you see it all, you hear it all, you know it all, God. And the people in this room desperately need your presence. And so would you come into this place and heal us, Lord? I ask for a spirit of revelation in these people that you would show yourself to be true to your promises. We know you are, God. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory when it happens. We pray these things in Jesus' name.